So friends, once again, here we are together. It's another Sunday. And after two Sundays apart, I feel like I appreciate you even more. <laughs> I'm even happier to be here. And I spent um, one Sunday, I had a few days of respite, and I spent it in Portland with some really good friends there. And um, then I met Pastor Cheryl, and we went to um, our, an annual gathering with the, the churches that are in our conference in the little area of the Pacific Southwest, and they lump Hawaii in there, <laughs> which is kind of exciting. And we got to represent you and got to be together for a few days. And um, this is part of the, the broader fellowship of churches we're part of, the Evangelical Covenant Church. So we got to see some faces and wanted to share um, some of those pictures with you. We got to see our, our Brian Murphy, our superintendent, our conference superintendent. We got to spend time with some women leaders. And um, we do have our, our one friend who, who like flew, flew Darren Hara out as our super, as our um, chairman of our SLC, the chair. And I'm forgetting his name, Will Davidson. We got to see Will. So it was wonderful. And I realized as I was there that I took way more pictures of Pastor Cheryl than I took of myself or of myself with Pastor Cheryl. <laughs> We got to see some pictures of here with some of our friends. We all got to hang out together and her little, her little uh, foster grandbaby is wonderful to be together and I'll let her share more about that um, in one of her messages. But yeah, I got all these pictures, um, these great ones of Pastor Cheryl. <laughs> here she is with our luggage. I promise I did not make her push that and most of that luggage is mine. <laughs> I picked it up in Portland and I did go to Ikea, so... <laughs> Poor Pastor Cheryl, she has like one, one bag in there. And by, I just, just had to say, when we travel with Pastor Yumigo, she only travels with like the backpack on her back. So I think like it all evens out. It all evens out in the end. <laughs> but yeah, it was good to be there and it's even better to be back. Um, our time with our, with our friends, it went quickly in, with the covenant, but there's another way that we're going to be connected with them over the weeks ahead. And today we're going to be beginning a six-week worship series on prayer that's called Deeply Rooted. And we're not going to be doing this, this series just by ourselves, but actually with hundreds of churches that are in the Evangelical Covenant Church that are all part of our fellowship of churches, not just in the U.S., but also in Canada and around the world. So um, uh, on the continent um, and throughout, throughout the world. So um, our, we have an, a new president, um, Reverend Tammy Swanson Dreheim. It's the first time we've ever had a woman president in our denomination. And she's really inviting us in this time um, when we're still in COVID and also like, you know, through some of the worst of it, hopefully, there's so much transition and change in the world and even in our own communities. And she's inviting us really to lean into prayer as we get ready to go to our annual meeting, which is a time where we figure out how we, how we do life together, especially when there's different churches that have sort of different theological leanings. And that's something that our denomination has always done well, is being able to stay together. We, we know that we're better together, but we need some prayer. And I love that we're doing this series with other people. And I also think here at Wellspring, what a wonderful opportunity for us um, as we get ready for some transitions of our own this summer, to be really leaning into prayer, being deeply rooted in that which gives us life, being deeply rooted in the language of the kingdom of heaven, knowing that it's there that we're going to be finding um, what we need from God and with each other. So I actually really want to invite you, if you're listening online and you can come in person, to call or text a friend and try to come in person over the course of this series. So we're going to be finding ways not just to talk about prayer, but to do prayer together. And 
that's really something special when we can do that in one place. So if you can come in person, would love to see you. And just as we finish up our series on Joseph, right, we were looking at um, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament uh, throughout Lent and Easter, and we were looking at our own unfinished stories. I invite you to bring those with you as we move into this, this focus on prayer. Bring that with you as we look at prayer and maybe a couple new and maybe some old ways and are invited to be together and to grow roots, even at a time when so much around us seems to be changing. Now, today's text as we begin this Sunday, it is not a how-to text. It is not a story about how to pray. We're not going to begin with that. It's not even a story that gives you like, you know, five good reasons why you should pray. It's not one of those stories either, not one of those texts. It's not a text from an epistle where, you know, maybe the the writer is encouraging the the churches to to persevere in prayer. It's not not one of those passages either. But today's passage instead doesn't tell us how we should pray or what we should pray. But it's a story that invites us to move from our head into our heart. It's a story that invites us to move from our head into our heart and then into a particular posture, a way of being. Now, prayer itself is something huge and um, powerful, and um, it kind of defies easy or short definitions. And under the umbrella prayer comes many different spiritual practices, whether it be fasting, or it be Lectio Divina, or it be meditative prayer, or intercessory prayer. There's so many things, so many spiritual formation practices under the umbrella of prayer. And we're not really going to be looking at any of those today either. But I did figure since we're beginning the series, we probably should have at least some definitions of it up there. And um, I have a few to share with you today. Um, like I said, prayer is, is a sort of thing that defies just little boxes. But I think there's some, there's some we can look at, and I think each of them have something true to say about prayer. And I invite you, too, to be thinking, like, what's your favorite definition of prayer? How would you describe prayer if a friend asked you, hey, what's this about? What would you say? Um, here's a couple ones that um, I found. Oops, maybe we could try to do them one at a time. If not, just we'll go from the top down. The first one is prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is conversation with God. We see these things like in Isaiah, where the the writer says, um, in talking for God, like, you will call to me and I will answer. The same hand, we also know prayer is more than a conversation, right? The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. And the, the writer in Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. So that's like more than just a conversation of listening and speaking, right? Then there's this one, I like this one, To Pray is to Change by Richard Foster. This idea that prayer changes us and we change the world. Another one is from Dallas Willard. He's a philosopher and he says, prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. I like that. And then perhaps my favorite of all, prayer is communion that involves knowing and being known by God. It's my favorite one of all. Prayer is communion that involves knowing and being known by God. And sometimes this goes beyond works, beyond words. Perhaps my favorite prayer of all is one in scripture. It's the shortest one of all. 
And I love it because it's easy to remember. It's from Peter when he's sinking and he says, save me. <laughs> I think I would have made it fast, like shorter. I would have been like, help. <laughs> That's like my favorite prayer. So even though we have all these different definitions of prayer, prayer is also something very simple and it can be very short and it's accessible. You don't have to have a fancy degree. You don't have to know all those different definitions. You don't have to have any titles around your name to pray. One of my favorite um, animated uh, TV, um, it's, a, it's a film. One of my favorite animated shows is called Ratatouille. And it's about a little rat that really wants to be a chef. And he's inspired by Chef Gusto. And Chef Gusto, oh wait, here we go. Chef Gusto is this, you know, uh, TV, TV chef, and his catchphrase is, anyone can cook. <laughs> anyone can cook. <laughs> this idea that anyone can cook, and I would say the same thing is true of prayer. Anyone can pray. Can you say that with me? Anyone can pray. That's good. This didn't move, so I thought you might say anyone can cook. Maybe that's true too. I don't know. <laughs> So it's great. You don't need to know a lot about God. You don't need to be have any fancy degrees. Um, and the story we're looking at today kind of exemplifies that. So let's look at today's story of prayer. Enough words about it. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 34. If you want to turn in your phones or open your Bibles to Matthew 19, 13 through 14. Excuse me. 13 through 14. One day some people brought little children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads, verse 15, and blessed them before he left. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to look at this scene two ways. One of them is by looking at the real people in the story and what they're actually doing. And the other one is I want us to step back and take some broader meaning from it. So can we do that? We're going to start with just looking at the, the actual characters in the story. Now, can you picture the scene with me? Now, there's, there's family members or loved ones, we're not sure their relationship, they could be grandparents, maybe guardians, and they are bringing these small children to Jesus. And we know they are little children, very small children, because these children can't get to Jesus on their own. So they might be like babies or toddlers. They're being carried and brought to Jesus for Jesus to pray for them and bless them. So something about Jesus, these guardians, these parents or grandparents, they know that Jesus is this deeply safe person. They know that the way he's been healing people in their, in their spirits, their souls, in their bodies, the way he's teaching about God and the kingdom of heaven, which is the, the, the realm on earth where God's will is done as well as in heaven where God's will is always done. They know there's something about the way he's teaching and healing people and even raising people from the dead that they want to bring their little ones to Jesus. And they're little, so can you picture them with me? Little ones being brought to Jesus. And as they're being brought to Jesus, it's great. They have access, right? They have access to Jesus. They're given access through the loved ones who are bringing them. And then the disciples get in the way. The access is interrupted by the disciples 
Um, and interestingly enough, the disciples, they've already forgotten what happened the chapter before. See, Jesus has already given a whole bunch of teaching in, in the book of Matthew on children. And the disciples, honestly, they don't come out looking great in this passage. And I'm going to tell you how they don't come out looking great, not to demonize them, but to actually encourage you because it shows the disciples were real people just like you and me. Sometimes when we see Jesus' disciples, you know, his friends and followers living these amazing lives of sharing in the New Testament and, you know, speaking about Jesus and healing people um, and just being really fearless and loving, I think it's easy to be like, well, you know, that's not me, that's them. You know, I can't sell my property and share it with the poor. That'd be really hard. And what's amazing to me is that those are the same people that are also here being strongly reprimanded by Jesus because once again, they don't get it. They're the same people. And human, you were humans, right? We have a whole spectrum of how we can be with God and with others. And so to me, it's encouraging because when I see the disciples behaving poorly, when I see them behaving like, you know, a little bit more filled with the spirit, I think, oh, Maybe there's, maybe there's something in that that I can, I can lean into. So the disciples here, they decide to gatekeep. They, they, they decide that these little ones don't, for whatever reason, deserve to get to see Jesus. And a step in the way. And right before this, Jesus had done teaching on children. In the book of Matthew 18, the disciples had asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest? And Jesus had actually went and gotten a child. And now the word great in the Hebrew language is the word, um, let me make sure I get it right, it's the word gadol. And it can also mean adult. So the disciples are like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, this adult. And then Jesus brings a child. So you can imagine the shift it must have taken for them to be like, wait, a child is the greatest one in the kingdom of heaven? And in the Hebrew language, this is the language that Jesus was deeply conversant in, right, for their scriptures. Um, the word for child is, um, is katan, which also can mean humble person. And so Jesus is saying, you want to know who's the great adult? It's actually this humble kid. <laughs> and Jesus says, if you want to even find entrance into the kingdom of heaven, you need to become like a little child. And if you welcome a little child in my name, you welcome me. So this is all happens in Matthew 18. And then in Matthew 19, what happens? The little children come to Jesus and the disciples are like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Shucks. Now, the disciples... I think whenever we serve as gatekeepers, we just need to be aware because gatekeepers never come across well in scripture. And sometimes the disciples take on this gatekeeping role. They forget. They forget who God invites in. They forget that God invites the people that often we least expect. They forgot that God invites in the ones that maybe we think should be kept at arm's length. Right? The disciples, they've done this before. They've actually tried to shut down other people who were, you know, uh, casting out demons and healing in Jesus' name, and they try to shut them down, and Jesus is like, hey, I have sheep that are not of this fold. You know, if they're not against us, they're for us. And the disciples are like, what? Because they've tried to gatekeep before. So their gatekeeping now doesn't come across great. Jesus has to rebuke them. He has to give them a stern, a stern, a stern teaching because they forgot. So this is, within this story, there's a reminder for you and me, uh, for us not to forget who is centered in the kingdom of heaven. It's often those we least expect. It's sometimes even literal children. We don't want to gatekeep like the disciples. So the children in our story for today, they have access to Jesus, which is interrupted. So Jesus advocates for them. 
He advocates for them. He's like, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. And then what does Jesus do? He places his hands on them and he blesses them. He affirms them. So I want us to remember these three A's because we're going to come back to them later. The children are provided access to Jesus. Jesus advocates for them. And Jesus affirms and blesses them. I think I even have that right here, all three at once. Here we go. They're given access, they're advocated for, they're affirmed. So let's hold those three A's in mind because we're gonna get to that in just a minute. So this is the literal movement of the story. Are you with me? You can picture these literal children in your mind's eye. You can kind of see what the disciples are doing with their gatekeeping and they're invited you know, to, to change their ways, be more like children. So this is what's literally happening in the story. At the same time, there's also some broader meaning we can get from the story as it relates to prayer. And before we get to that, I do want to say one more thing just about literal children, because I don't want to so metaphoricalize it that we forget the actual children, which is kind of what the disciples did, right? They heard Jesus teaching on children, and then they made it like we need to be like children, and they're turning children away. (laughs) So this is one reason why at Wellspring we want to center children, because Jesus centered children. This is one reason why we ask for cakey helpers upstairs. We can make sure our kids are safe and well cared for. This is one reason why you might notice our pastors, we take turns being here with you all and being upstairs with wave makers. It's because Jesus centers children. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. They're made of the stuff of the kingdom of heaven. There's something about these children that we can learn from in in our own ways of being with God. So this is why we celebrate babies, why we have baby showers. This is why we hire a nursery worker. It's because we celebrate and want to treasure the children we have. So we have the literal children in the story, and now let's, let's move back for a little bit of broader meaning. Jesus says two things about these children. One, he says, bring them to me, don't stop them. The second thing he says in verse 14 is this, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This means that all the goodness, all the power, all the healing, all the way and will of God belongs not to the powerful, not to the privileged or influential, but rather to those who are like little children or who can become like little children. Jesus doesn't tell the kids they need to learn from the grown-ups, but he tells the grown-ups we need to be more like kids. What, what are children like? Now, many of you could answer this question even better than I have. You've parented or foster-parented more children than I have or will. Um, I only have experience with three that I've lived with over the course of my life. And let me tell you, these kids, they can be wonderful and annoying. <laughs> I'm so glad none of them are in the room right now. Uh, Sorry, Vincent in heaven. (laughs) You're perfect. Um, (laughs) Children can be bold and frank. They can be clever and funny. They can take you by surprise. They can be abrupt. They can be a little demanding. They can be expectant. They can be playful. I remember this one time. Okay, now remember, I have three children. I'm not gonna name which one it was. I've had three very young children. This is a very young child, so you'd have no idea who the child is, right? You're with me on this? Okay, good, okay, good. 
Um, <laughs> one of my children used the contents of their diaper as finger paint in the night. So in the morning, when I got up, and Dan was already at work, I got up and I walked into this room and I was greeted by a huge waft of aroma. <laughs> and it wasn't the good kind. <laughs> and my child was standing up holding the very dirty crib and looked kind of perplexed and also slightly proud of themselves. But uh, yeah, just, just, just content, but also kind of like, what's going on? And I was like, no! <laughs> It's like the thing about children, and if you excuse my cross language here, children, they don't have their shit together. <laughs> they don't, sometimes not even literally. <laughs> they don't. You know, kids, they are dependent on others. They are not the main household providers, right? They're not paying the rent. I did have, um, I'll tell you who, who another child in my family uh, came to me the other day and said, Mom, since I'm 10 years old now, I am an adult. And I said, oh, is that the new age? Is that the new age of adulthood? I was like, oh, yeah, tell me more. He's like, yes, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm a grown-up just like you and Dad. I was like, wow. I was like, so are... What are your plans for adulthood? When are you going to start paying rent? Or maybe, do you want to help with the utilities instead? And this child just paused for a second. I think the conversation was not where they were intending it to go. I think they were intending it to go more like, give me more screen time or something like that, because uh, I'm so responsible. So they paused, and they were like, mm, maybe I'm OK being a kid for now. <laughs> like, smart move, kid, smart move. Because kids, at least in just societies, they shouldn't be paying the rent or utilities, right? Actually, when I hear stories of children that had to fend for themselves at an early age, that's a story of trauma, right? Kids, by their very nature, they are dependent, they are vulnerable. They need someone more capable and older than them to help them obtain resources and receive care and attention and education and love. So the story of today's children, these are dependent children. They need to be brought to Jesus. And here's where we get into the broader meaning of the story. Because I think, friends, that this story is all about prayer. Because we are the little children who, in prayer, come to God. Do you remember uh, earlier in the, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray? He teaches them to come in the posture of children. They're to address God as Abba, which I think in Korean is Abba. In Tagalog, tatay. In English, papa. In Persian, baba. In English, sometimes it's translated as father in heaven, which sounds very formal. But it's really just a little kid coming to their appa. We're invited to come in the posture of children. And when we come, Jesus says, don't stop them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. We're invited to come on the arms of prayer where we have access to God. In prayer, we're given access to God. Um, here we go. Let's get up to speed right here. We're given access to God. We see this in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about how we have access to the throne of grace, and we can come with confidence to God. In prayer, we are advocated for by Jesus. There might be voices around that kind of keep, want to hold us back or to tell us, you know, you're not important enough, or God has other things to do today. But in prayer, we are advocated for by God's own self. 
Scripture tells us in Hebrews again that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us, which means that whatever voices are coming against us to keep us away from God, God's own self is interceding there for us, stands in the way and says, no, let the little children come to me. Friends, in prayer, we're given access to God. We are advocated for by God's own self, and in prayer, we are affirmed and blessed by God. God. You see, there's always a blessing to be found in prayer. Whether it's the blessing of repentance, (laughs) the scripture talks about actually God's kindness leads us to repentance, where it's the blessing of coming to God and realizing, oh, there's things I need to shift and move around so I can align more with God and God's good ways in the world. Maybe it's the blessing of coming to God and having someone really hear you, hear you well, understand you well. Maybe you are not understood by other people, but when you come to God in prayer, you know that someone gets you. It might be the blessing of peace. Maybe there's been just so much change and transition in your life, you feel overwhelmed, exhausted, and tired. And you need to come to God and receive the blessing of peace. The blessing of peace is there for you. You might receive the blessing of empowerment. You've been working for God's good change in the world, for justice and peace, and you feel like you can't do it anymore. It is too hard to be an advocate for others. You are tired. Friends, In prayer, you can receive the blessing of empowerment. You might need to receive the blessing of assurance. Things have been hard, and you're not sure God is there. And in in prayer, in lament, because there are kinds of prayer where you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a prayer too. In prayer, we can come to realize that God somehow, in a mysterious way, is with us. And all those are blessings. The blessing of assurance, the blessing of peace, the blessing of empowerment the blessing of God's own self. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or not done, as you come to God in prayer, God is waiting to affirm you, to welcome you, to invite you into growing wholeness. There's no gatekeeping here. There's no one at the door to say, hey, you know, can you, I don't, I'm not sure you deserve to be in here. You're not, you're not, quite, you're not quite what we're hoping for. But God invites us affirms us, sometimes gives us the blessing of repentance and change. But God is there waiting for us in prayer. This all makes me wonder, if in prayer we're given access to God, if in prayer we're advocated for by God's own self, if in prayer we're affirmed and blessed by God, then why don't we do it any more than we do? (laughs) Why don't we pray more? And I think that's a a really valid question to ask. And I think if we were to go around the room right now, we would probably hear some really deep reasons why we don't. And I sat with this for myself and I came up with some, a few that I've experienced and I thought maybe you might have experienced it too. They might all pop up at the same time, but you just just bear with me, I'll read them through. Uh, The first one is that you might be too independent. Like, I've got this, you know, I don't need to bother God. Maybe you're too busy. You're like, you know what? If I don't get started on this right away, I'm not going to finish it. So I can't pray right now. But maybe my work will be a prayer. (laughs) I've done that before. I think sometimes it works, maybe. (laughs) My work is a prayer. It can be. Sometimes, though, we can be too cerebral. I don't know. If God already knows what I need, uh, then why should I ask God about it? And if God changes me in prayer, then why don't I just, you know, get changed anyway and do the work? Like, maybe I don't need to pray. We can kind of get stuck in our heads. And we all have different loops that we go through about maybe why we don't need to be praying. And the last one is probably the most 
the one that kind of gets me because it's one that resonates with me the most. And that's too cynical. Because friends, some of us have, in the business of growing up, frustrations and disappointments have left us with scar tissue. Some of us even have open wounds where we feel like we've prayed and it felt like there hasn't been much change or movement in us or in the world. And it can be easy to lose heart. As I look at these, these reasons for not praying, these obstacles of being independent or busy or cerebral or cynical, I thought to myself, you know, all of these are symptoms of being too grown up. Aren't they? Being too busy? Kids are often not too busy to play, not too busy to laugh, not too busy to take a time out. Too independent? Some kids are independent, but it's sort of like their own independence that still relies on adults, like my little one who said he's an adult and just kidding. <laughs> too cerebral? Kids often don't get stuck in their heads. They're in the moment. They're free to be. Too cynical? That's something that comes with time. Friends, are you feeling maybe a little grown up today? I don't mean mature. M many of you are mature, and sometimes we have our mature self, which is the part of us that is growing, that is growing in wisdom, non-reactivity, emotional health, spiritual health, all that stuff. We can be growing in maturity, and that's a different thing, though, than being grown up. Being grown up means that you're competent, you're getting stuff done, you do have your shit together. The thing is, when we're grown up like that, sometimes that puts barriers between us and God. Because we're doing it ourselves, And it's been hard. And some things in us close off to God. By this grown up world, it's grown up responsibilities, restrictions, it's grown up requirements, and disappointments. Maybe you have some walls built up in your soul. And as I thought about this, I realized that oftentimes wounding we receive as children can cause us to grow up too soon and put some of these barriers up. Maybe you had to grow up really fast to protect others, or you grew up too fast because you weren't allowed to make mistakes. Maybe as a child you received the message that your needs weren't important and so you developed a bit of a crusty exterior and slowly lost the wonder and open-heartedness of child-likeness. Maybe you believed you were loved for your accomplishments, so you really leaned into being as grown-up as you could and getting as many accomplishments as you could rather than being treasured just for who you are as a human being made by God. Maybe you learned that you can only depend on yourself. You had to grow up really quick, or maybe there was a betrayal or a lack of safety in your childhood that made you do that. Maybe you received the message that it's just easier for everyone if you don't exist. If this is you, and you'd love to come to Jesus as a little child, you'd love to come to Jesus in prayer that way, but it's just too hard because you had to grow up too soon. It's hard to find that little child within you. If this is you, and you've lost some of your child-likeness, as I know I have, I want to invite us into a small yet powerful posture, a child-like one. It's the posture of open hands.
growing up in the Philippines, if you were going to visit some relatives for feast days or special days, you go up to your, um, your grandma or your grandpa, and you would go with your hands open and you kind of bow. Be a way of sort of receiving a blessing. Sometimes there would be a physical representation of that blessing, like <laughs> some money. <laughs> As a way of showing, hi, I'm, I'm dependent on you. You have something that you can share with me, whether it be your time or your wisdom or a resource. To have your hands open is to say, I hope you have something good to share with me. To have your hands open is a non-defensive gesture. It says, I don't have any weapon with me, and I trust you don't have one with you. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You're showing your hands. <laughs> to have your hands open is to acknowledge that you have needs and that you're willing to ask for help. I'm open to receive is what this posture says. It's a child-like pose. Friends, to you and to all children everywhere, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. If there's anything in you that's stopping you, I invite you to pause, to ask, what am I holding on to that's serving as like a gatekeeper? What grown-up thing in me, maybe it's resentment or unforgiveness or deep wounding, what grown-up thing in me caused by being growing up too fast? Can maybe I trust God with just a little bit more to slowly unfurl my hands and to be a little kid again with God who made me and has all good things for me and God's world? I want you to imagine the scene with me again. The children are brought to Jesus for him to pray for them. And after advocating for them, Jesus places his hands on the tops of their heads. Are you imagining this in your mind's eye? Now, is Jesus reaching out with a closed fist on top of their head? No. He's reaching out with also an open palm. And friends, in prayer, we're invited to come to God like little children with our hands open, and we know that God is there to receive us also with hands open to us. It's a powerful picture, one I invite you right now into as we pray this prayer together. If you can envision Jesus with you, if you can imagine yourself as a very little child as we pray this prayer, even if you can't imagine the feeling of Jesus' hand on your head blessing you. Wonder what he'd say. Let's pray this prayer together as we close our time. You can read it with me if you're able to read. It's a little small. Dear God, I can be so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open my hands and discover I am not what I own or what I can control, but what you want to give me. 
And what you want to give me is love, unconditional, everlasting love for me and our whole world. Lord, open my hands to receive you. Amen.